So for us who've been a part of church for a while, the whole resurrection story is so familiar, it can become something that we kind of go, yeah, 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 I know all this. I've heard this before. And it's interesting, I was going back over old messages I had given on, on Easter Sunday because, to be honest, I was afraid I might repeat something or I might give this, use the same text again. And I, as I kept going back, I went back like five years and I actually hadn't repeated the text in five years and I haven't done this text in, since before then. And so I thought, oh, wow, you know, this, there's, there's so much there. And I kind of realized how much, I was reminded about how much the New Testament is really just about the reality of Christ's resurrection. And because it is so familiar to us, we can kind of forget how astonishing it is. And these first Jesus followers, these who first experienced the resurrected Christ, they were completely gobsmacked by what happened. This was not at all what they expected. And it's interesting because when we go back to verse 1, we see that God is obviously wanting to do something specific. It says, now on the Sabbath, at the first day of the week, uh, I'm sorry, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. Now we know the story. These guys came to the tomb. Why? Because they wanted to finish preparing his body for burial. They wanted to finish anointing it with spices to wrap it up well so it would be preserved. They wanted to honor Jesus, who had been their rabbi, who they had loved, who they had thought was the Messiah, who they are still reeling about his death, wondering how could it be. And you have to really admire the courage of these women because you remember what happened just a couple days before this. All the disciples fled in fear. They left. And really, it was the, the, the women who stayed by Jesus, who had the courage to be there and, and watch as he was crucified. And here, knowing that, that Jesus had been really murdered by the Roman government, he was hated by the religious leaders, they're taking a big risk by actually continuing to be a part uh, of his life or wanting to be connected to him in any way. But the fact that this is happening at the beginning of the week, it's like the author Matthew, he wants us to see God is pointing to a new beginning. Something fresh is about to happen. And so they get there and it says in verse 2, Behold, there's this great earthquake. This is, there was an earthquake just three days before, right? At the cross there was an earthquake. Here's another great earthquake. It says, And behold, there's a great earthquake. And an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he came and he rolled back the stone. Now, why did he roll back the stone? Now, we know that basically Jesus didn't need the stone rolled back. We can see other gospel accounts of the resurrected Jesus. And, of course, he could sort of suddenly appear in a room and then disappear from a room. Walls didn't sort of contain him. So he didn't need someone to move the stone. It wasn't like Jesus was knocking on the inside saying, let me out, please. I mean, he could have just walked through. In fact, obviously he did. So they roll back the stone. Why? The angel rolls back the stone so the, the women can see inside. So you have this great earthquake, you have this brilliant, shining like lightning angel. He moves this heavy stone that, that no one person probably could have done on their own. And it says that as he does this, right, he, they, they see him, these guards see him in verse 4, and they shake for fear and become like dead men. They actually faint. These are tough Roman soldiers, but they faint because they've never seen an angel before. They were scared to death almost. Now, it's interesting because you, 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 you get this and you think, okay, Lord, why do you have to be so dramatic? <laughs> why is it that, that he's doing this? It, it, really, if you look at the gospel accounts and you see Jesus' ministry, Jesus' ministry wasn't always flashy. 
there was a lot of subtlety the, the way Jesus did ministry. Now, he did some pretty radical miracles that blew people's minds. I mean, raising people from the dead is pretty radical. You know, healing people is pretty radical. He did some pretty amazing things. But often he was doing his ministry in a very subtle, behind-the-scenes kind of a way. In fact, he, he was so sort of behind-the-scenes in the way he did ministry, so humble in the way he did ministry, that when Judas betrays him, Judas has to say to the soldiers, the one that I kiss is the one you want to arrest. In other words, they wouldn't have been able to pick out Jesus from the other disciples. And so Jesus' ministry wasn't flashy. So why is God now doing something so dramatic? Well, really, God is wanting to underscore the supernatural reality of the resurrection. God's wanting to show there's something supernatural going on here. So he's literally shaking the earth and flashing lightning in their eyes and seeing the soldiers drop as dead. But also what he's doing here is he's kind of redeeming the schemes of men. If you remember from uh, earlier in Matthew's gospel, I'll read this to you in Matthew from Matthew 27. Here's what we know why the soldiers were there. It says, The leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate. And they told him, Sir, we remember that this deceiver, they're talking about Jesus, once said that while he was still alive, after three days I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and telling everyone that he is raised from the dead. Uh, if, if that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. So Pilate replies and says, Fine, take, cards, uh, take guards and secure it as best you can. So that's what they did. So those guards are there. Why? They're there based on the unbelief of the Jewish religious community. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, at least not the religious leaders. And at the cynicism of the Roman government. Hey, we don't want this rebel rouser coming and, and causing problems. And the Jews are saying, yeah, we don't want this guy causing religious problems. So the cynicism and, and the sort of uh, mockery and the unbelief, that's what was represented by these guards at the tomb. And so by sending this angel, by having these guys literally faint in front of this angel, God is wanting to say something. He's wanting to say, I'm going to redeem the schemes of men. In other words, God was trying to do something that they could not ignore. People could not ignore that something supernatural was going on. People could not ignore that this was meant to be a new beginning. It started on the, on the, after the Sabbath was over. People could not ignore that God was doing something radical. And so, of course, these guys pass out, probably ran away after they woke back up. And it says in verse 5 that the angel answers and says to the women, notice the women didn't pass out, <laughs> says to the women, do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. That's important. The angel's being clear. Jesus who was crucified. There is no room here for this idea that Jesus actually didn't die. That it was Judas who died in his place, like our Muslim friends would say. No, it's very clear here Jesus was crucified, that he died. The angel's making that clear. He says, I know you look for a Jesus who was crucified. He says, he is not here, for he is risen as he said. Literally, it should say, just as he said. Now, this is amazing to think about. We already saw, right, from the Matthew 27, the Jews knew that Jesus proclaimed that he would rise from the dead. He had said that. They understood that. They didn't believe it, but they understood it. 
They understood he said that. In fact, we see in the gospel several times where Jesus does predict his own death and resurrection. Let me just read three examples from Matthew's gospel for you, to you. Matthew 16, 21 says this, For then on Jesus, from then on Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hand of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Said it plainly. Matthew 17, listen to this. After they gathered together again in Galilee, Jesus told them the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of His enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day He will be raised from the dead. And the disciples were filled with grief. Then again, later on in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says this. Jesus took the twelve disciples aside privately and He told them, Look, we're going to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests. They will hand them over to the Romans to be mocked flogged with a whip and crucified, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. In other words, the angel is wanting these women to know, listen, Jesus said something you can't deny. He predicted his own death and his own resurrection. He gave more and more detail to this reality. He kept bringing it up. They couldn't deny it's what he said. Now, we read this 2,000 years later. We read this and we go, yeah, how come they didn't just kind of, oh yeah, Jesus is alive. That's what we thought was going to happen. How come they didn't just believe? Well, how come you don't just believe? (laughs) How come I don't just believe? There's something within us that when we face a tragedy, when we face a trial, when God does something we didn't expect, like be crucified, that our whole idea, our whole perspective is thrown out of whack. We don't know know what to believe. We, We don't know who to trust. We don't know how to view things. Now, Jesus predicted His his resurrected many times, and this is an important thing. He's doing this because He wants to validate all that He said and done with His resurrection. If you look at the second part of verse 6, it says this, The angel says, come see the place where the Lord lay. Look, check out the evidence. See the tomb's empty. He says, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Now, the other gospels tell us that Jesus had told the disciples, look, after I rise, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. So so the point that's being made here by the angels is, listen, Everything that Jesus said is coming to pass. His resurrection validates His Word. It's all coming to pass. Again, you know, our Muslim friends, they call us people of the book. That's what we are known as as Christians. Why? Why are we called people of the book? Because we're people of the book. We take what God says seriously. Why? Why are we so sure God has spoken? Because Jesus has risen from the dead. He's alive. He's confirmed the words that He said. He's alive. You remember when, uh, this would have been probably several months before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, but when Lazarus, uh, a good friend of Jesus, uh, brother to Mary and Martha, who, uh, the, the, Jesus used to visit their house a lot, Lazarus dies. 
You guys remember that story in John chapter 11? Lazarus dies, and Jesus is with his disciples in a, in a neighboring village, and he hears, they hear the news, Lazarus is really sick. And so Jesus delays. He doesn't go to visit Lazarus. And so finally he says, we've got to go see Lazarus. So they go see Lazarus, and when they get there, they find out Lazarus is dead. And everyone's distraught. Oh, oh, Jesus, if you would have been here, he would have survived. You heal the sick. If you would have just been here. And you guys remember the story. It's where we have that famous verse, Jesus wept. He weeps as he sees uh, everyone weeping over Lazarus' death. And, and basically what ends up happening, what does he do? He, he, he's confronted first by Martha. Lazarus' sister, uh, Martha. And Martha says, Lord, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, my brother... He wouldn't have died. And Jesus says to Martha, listen, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Now you look at the screen, it doesn't say Martha, does it? It's got a blank space. It's got a blank space. Because I believe the Spirit of God would ask you today what Jesus asked Martha that day. Jesus would say to us, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Fill in your name. Do you believe this? Because we're on this side of the cross. We're on this side of the resurrection. Martha was challenged to believe that Jesus wasn't just the Messiah, that Jesus wasn't just a miracle worker who could raise someone from the dead, that Jesus was indeed the guarantee of life eternal, the resurrection, the life. She had to, she had to make a decision. Do I really believe this? She loved Jesus. The Scripture is clear. That it says specifically in John chapter 11 that Martha and Mary and Lazarus were loved by Jesus, and they loved Jesus. But did she believe that He was who He said He was? That He was the resurrection and the life? Do we believe? Jesus said it. This is who He said He was. Jesus predicted His death. That death was on purpose. It wasn't just a crime against humanity. Yeah, these guys made a choice to have Jesus crucified, but Jesus laid down his life willingly. Why? He was paying for our sin. He was paying the price for our sin. He said that's what he was doing. He says he gives his life as a ransom for many. That's what he said. He said his death pays for our sin. Do you believe it? Because he also said he raised from the dead, and he did, just like he said. Do you believe it? Just as he said. So the angel says this to these ladies, going back to Matthew 27. She says, listen, he says to them, I want you to now go and tell these disciples what's going on. And so they, it says in verse 9, or verse 8, sorry. So they went out quickly from the tomb <laughs> with great fear, with fear, I'm sorry, and great joy, and they ran to bring his disciples' word. I want you to think about this. The angel is sending these, these guys, and we'll see in just a second, right? Jesus is going to affirm that this is what they're supposed to do. He sends 
these guys on what you might call the first missionary journey. Take the gospel to the first set of people who, who haven't believed it yet. And who are the first people going? Women. Now, we are wrestling as a culture now with gender equality. These are things that I'm not going to discuss about how this is all going to work, but we are wrestling with these issues. They're difficult issues to wrestle with. But there was no discussion about gender equality in Jesus' day. It was decided by that culture that women were like of half value as men. That a woman's opinion was suspect at best. This is significant. It's significant because if these disciples were making this stuff up, if Matthew was just kind of trying to write a nice story that would kind of try to convince people, you wouldn't say, and then women were the first people to tell others about Jesus. I mean, think about who you're most suspicious of, and then repent for your bigotry. But think about who you're most suspicious of, and think about that's the person that, that, that Jesus sends to tell you about Himself. Jesus sent those, the angel first, but Jesus sends those ultimately who would te- whose testimony was considered suspect. So then they're on their way, and what happens? They run into Jesus, which is always a blessing, verse 9. And as they went to tell His disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, rejoice. Rejoice. Now, first of all, these poor, these poor ladies, man, I mean, they are you know, full of joy and, and fear. I mean, what a combination. Oh my gosh, what just happened? This is amazing. This is scary. This is amazing. This is scary. I mean, this is a really difficult thing. And then, oh, there's Jesus. This man whom they love, this man who treated them as, as, in a way no man had ever treated them before, had shown them a value they never understood. And so when they see him, what do they do? Whoosh! They grab onto his legs. They hug him like they've never hugged anybody before, which, by the way, shows that wasn't just some sort of phantom of a ghost, because you can't hug a ghost, can you? This is Jesus physically being resurrected. They hold on to Jesus. Why? Because this is who Jesus wants to send. He wants to send people who really just want His presence. I love this because one of the things that that really encourages me about the trustworthiness of who Jesus is and what He does is about how weird His people are. We are just an odd bunch of people. We are mixed up, we are diverse, we are often confused, but the Lord chooses to send out His message through people. I mean, Jesus is going to show Himself. I mean, this is the rest of the the, the resurrection story that we're not going to talk about today, but He does show Himself to the disciples on more than one occasion, and then to 500 people at once. There's gobs of evidence that Jesus was alive. He showed himself to make sure they had the evidence. But it begins with these ladies whom nobody would really trust, whom people would go, yeah, you're just women. He starts with that. I mean, even, let's be honest, even the disciples, they were a bunch of (laughs) oddballs. No guys that we would choose to sort of lead us necessarily. They hold into his feet, and Jesus says to them, No, I say to you, don't be afraid. It's okay. Love that word of comfort from Jesus. 
just kind of as a sort of a rabbit trail, this is one of the things that we need to recognize. If we want to be comforted by Jesus, we need to hold fast to Jesus. We need to cling to his feet. Testimonies that we heard today were about the simplicity but the profound power there is when we pray. And we just sit before God and just pour out our hearts before him. That's when we experience the comfort of Jesus. But he says, don't be afraid. He says, go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee uh, and where they are. Uh, tell them they will see me there. I love that Jesus is actually sending these women to instruct these men whom Jesus has poured into for three and a half years, guys who should have known better. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to this. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 1, he says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy, when God called you, that is, called you to believe in Him. Instead, God chose the things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose the despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. He would go on to say, except boasting in God himself. Listen, what's amazing about the resurrection is the fact that, that God is doing something in the resurrection, in raising Jesus from the dead, that is meant to validate everything Jesus did and taught and is meant to guarantee everything that Jesus promised. All of it. This is why Jesus commands, and it's the word is in the command, rejoice. Because everything He's promised is going to come to pass. Everything He's done is guaranteed enough. What was the last thing He says on the cross? Well, second to the last thing. He says, it is finished. One word in the Greek, tetelestai, paid in full. How do you know your sins are paid for? Because Jesus said they were, and he rose from the dead to guarantee that they were. That's how we know. Yeah, but, you know, John, let's be honest. Christians, sometimes they're pretty hypocritical. They don't always get things right. And sometimes even they believe stuff that's weird. They do things that are weird. I mean, really? Yeah, really. God has chosen to communicate to us through broken, feeble, foolish people. You know why? So that we would know it's not the great messenger that changes us. It's the great message. It's whom the message is about. It's Jesus. It's Resurrection Sunday. It's the day that we celebrate the reality that Jesus conquered death. It's the day death died. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. One day we're going to be raised from the dead. We're going to face God in that resurrection. And if our faith has been in Jesus and in what he did for us through his death and what he's guaranteed through his resurrection, if we believe in Jesus, that resurrection for us is the new beginning. It's when life really begins.
like Illumide shared, it's when there's no more sorrow or pain. It's when no more suffering. That's what we're celebrating. The world that we all want is coming very soon. Jesus' resurrection guarantees it.